Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered! I like fighting a woman. Your behavior just hasn't been very oozy. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. Eric Bischoff is an idiot. We have two more hours of this. Maybe the single stupidest idiot that ever got into wrestling. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? Come over here and fight me. I'm the Sala Monster, damn it. <laughs> this is episode 794. Of the Sala Monster sounds off for Sunday, February 5th, 2023. I am the Sala Monster, and thank you for spending part of your day with me. We had a wind chill in New York the other night of 10 below zero. By the end of this week, it's going to be 55 degrees. I love it. That means we get rain and no snow, just the way I like it. Get yourself a free audiobook with our Audible Trial link, audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. You can get yourself the Guy Evans Nitro book, Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. That is one of the many wrestling books on there, and it doesn't have to be a wrestling book, but one of the many wrestling books on there you can get for free. With a 30-day trial of the service, and if you are an Amazon Prime member, even better, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up using our link. So there you go. And even if you end up not uh, continuing the service beyond the 30-day trial, you can keep the books. So audibletrial.com slash Solomonster. That is still active for all of our listeners. Also, if you want to make a PayPal donation, you may do so on thesolomonster.com. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out. Do a little PayPal roll call here with the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, Night Stalker, Nayef Alsafar, Big B, Brian Pacera, Killshot, Keith Hart, Out of Control, Cody Thomas, Beast Mode, Brock Joseph, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, The Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soep, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, John Raging Mad Riffle, the Wichita Workhorse, Clayton Nettleton, Sherrod Big Daddy Boyd, BMAC Attack, Bernard Hicks, who wants to give a shout out to what he claims is the best mascot in all of Major League Baseball, Blooper. Yes, leave it to the Braves to name their mascot after something defined in the Oxford Dictionary as an embarrassing error. Whoever came up with that took a uh, tomahawk chop to the brain. Uh, also, Barry is sending a shout-out to two of his very best friends, Walter and Alex. They've been listening to the podcast since day one from the SE Scoops days. Walter recently got married. Alex just got engaged. So congrats to the two of them. That's awesome. Uh, also, for those of you who took part in the Royal Rumble Pool in our private group on Facebook, we are going to be doing the ultimate Rumble Pool uh, on the Raw stream tomorrow night. Uh, so I'm going to be listing the names, and we're going to pick a first, second, and third place winner. 
So kind of similar to how things work with Wrestle Rumble when I get to host their contests. Uh, third place winner wins a Sound of mug from Zazzle, which you can order if you want from uh, thesolomonster.com. Second place winner gets any Solo Monster shirt of their choosing, and the first place winner gets any two Solo Monster shirts of their choosing. And thank you again to Zach Holker and Julian Cannon for all of their help with the Rumble Pool this year. And one other note here. Uh, you may have noticed last week some strange glitches and QR codes in the live streams on YouTube, and I saw some people wondering, what does it all mean? It has nothing to do with the podcast. I will tell you that. But what it does mean will be revealed in an announcement tomorrow night during the Monday Night Raw stream. So you will have to tune in to find out. That's all I'm going to say about that. Thank you to all who tuned in to the House of Glory show on Friday night. That's why there was no live SmackDown review. Uh, and I'll be talking uh, about some of the stuff from SmackDown a little bit later on. Not really a full review because, honestly, outside the Bloodline stuff, there ain't much to talk about from that SmackDown show on Friday night. Uh, but it was our first show of the new year. My first as the new commissioner of House of Glory. I was hopeful that it would be Charles Mason's final night as our crown jewel champion. But sadly, his reign continues. Uh, Brian Keith, though, gave him a hell of a fight. Keith made waves in this year's Battle of Los Angeles as a sub for Leo Rush. He was a surprise. Leo Rush popped up on uh, Friday night, his first hog appearance in many years. And Jacob Fatu beat JTG in a great main event to retain his uh, House of Glory World Heavyweight title. I swear, you know, JTG looks like a new man. <laughs> if you have not seen JTG since he left WWE from the crime time days... Uh, the difference, you just look at him and his appearance and, and just even in the ring. I mean, he's like a new man. Uh, it's incredible, but not enough to beat Jacob Fatu. Next month, it's another Friday night show coming up on March 10th with Glory Comes Pride. Back at the NYC Arena with Kushida making his debut. I'll be on the call with JD from NY as always, and we'll see what happens next with Charles Mason. And uh, not only Mason, but... Amazing Red and Brian XL, I know they're the faces that run the place, the OGs, but uh, they seem to think that they can run around and do whatever they want. I would be very careful if I were them. I've got my eye on those two. The wrestling world lost another one this week. Not a genius, but the genius. The news was broken by his good friend Hacksaw Jim Duggan on Thursday with a very, very heavy heart, I have been asked to let everyone know about the passing of our friend and colleague, Lanny Poffo, the genius. Very sad to hear uh, of another name from my childhood gone. And at a relatively young age, you know, 68 is not that old. Uh, and he wasn't known to be dealing with any kind of serious illness, unless he was keeping that to himself. Uh, he had been living in Ecuador for the last few years. Uh, he got an Oceanside condo down there, although in the Observer it said that he moved away from the water and up one of the mountains there last March, I guess because his allergies started bothering him and he was having breathing problems. But he was staying with a friend in New York uh, this past week. He had just been in New Jersey for a virtual autograph signing. The cause of death is not yet known, but he was out and about and he seemed to be fine, so whatever it was, it was very sudden. Uh, Booker T on his Hall of Fame podcast said that he was just with Lanny a few weeks ago filming stuff in Connecticut for the next season of the 
WWE Hidden Treasure show, and he seemed perfectly fine. Uh, Lanny was a member of the Poffo wrestling family, as I'm sure most, if not all of you are aware. The son of Angelo Poffo, more well known as the brother of the macho man Randy Savage. Uh, of course, the Poffo family went to war with the Memphis Territory back in the 70s with their uh, their renegade promotion, ICW. And when that war ended, Lanny, he had a brief stint working for Bill Watts in Mid-South, but ultimately landed in the WWF. And in 85, George Scott was the booker. He wanted to sign Randy Savage, and Savage insisted that they sign his brother Lanny also. So they brought them both into the company at the same time. Uh, when he started working there, he was a babyface. He was calling himself Leaping Lanny Poffo, and he would toss frisbees out to the crowd. And uh, He may have been the first U.S. wrestler to use a moonsault, which he has said before he learned from watching a tape of the original Tiger Mask from Japan. Uh, I remember leaping Lanny from squash matches, mostly, and matches from the old primetime wrestling show. Uh, but his big run came as the genius, managing Mr. Perfect as a heel. Uh, he wore the cap and gown. He had a scroll with him at all times with poems that he would recite. All original poems, by the way, that he himself would write. Uh, he was very talented. But it was such an obnoxious gimmick. It got him a ton of heat. He gave Howard Finkel a lot of credit for helping him craft the gimmick, and Hulk Hogan as well. Hogan even put him over in a match on Saturday night's main event. Now, it was by countout, and it was with help from Mr. Perfect, but in the record books, it will forever say that the genius has a win over Hulk Hogan. And there aren't too many people, especially from that period of time, who can say they have a singles win over Hulk Hogan. But he had only just started working with Perfect the month before that, and then he would tag with Perfect in matches against Hogan and Brutus Beefcake and do handicap matches with Perfect against Hogan that always did big business. You know, Hogan always did big business back then. So if you were working on top with him, you knew you were making good money that night. There were, there were guys, you know, WWF back then for a period of time in the, in the mid to late eighties would have as many as three or four live event crews in different parts of the country. You had the A team, the B team, and then the C team. Uh, sometimes they'd have the D team. You always wanted to be on whatever team Hogan was on. You always wanted to be on the A team, like Mr. T. So they did big business together. Uh, by the way, that episode of Saturday Night's Main Event is the one where Perfect stole the winged eagle belt and smashed it with a hammer backstage, and then years later that belt would return as the hardcore title. Uh, so that was the episode. I think it was uh, November... 25th, I think is what I had read. November 25th, I think, of, of 1980. They probably taped it the month before. Uh, back then, the, the Saturday night's main event shows that were not live were probably taped three or four weeks in advance. But uh, that was from November of 89. But he always had nice things to say about Hogan. Because he recognized that without Hogan, he never would have gotten the push that he did. And in fact, when his brother did that rap album many years later with, you know, To Be a Man... Be a man, Hulk, right? He was calling out Hulk Hogan and challenging him. Uh, Lanny told Wrestling Inc. that Randy wanted him to write the lyrics for it. And Lanny wouldn't do it. It's the one time he said no to something that his brother asked him to do. He said, I I can't write, you know, a negative song about somebody who is uh, such a positive uh, influence in my life and on my career. I won't do it. You know, he said in his 21 years of wrestling... The best time of his career 
were those few, and it really was only a few months. We're talking four or five months, maybe, that he spent working with Hogan. And after his run with Perfect came to an end, you know, Bobby Heenan ended up managing Mr. Perfect. Uh, you know, Lanny managed the Beverly Brothers for a while. Uh, you guys know my feelings on the 1992 Royal Rumble, right? Greatest Rumble of all time. But there was another match that night with the Beverlys and the Genius in their corner against the Bushwhackers who had Jameson in theirs. And if you don't know who Jameson is, the less said about him, the better. That was fucking terrible. And it had nothing to do with Lanny. But later that year, he was gone from the company. And and then there's the, the great story, of course, of his WCW run. Now, you may be thinking, what WCW run? I don't remember Lanny being in WCW. There's a reason for that. It's his great WCW run because it's the run where he got paid for four years to sit home and do nothing. I want that job. How do I get that job? But it's true. When, when Savage was negotiating his next deal with Eric Bischoff, this may have been a year or so into his first run there. He went to Eric and he said, I want you to hire my brother. He was looking out for his brother. He wanted Eric to hire Lanny. Family was very important to Randy Savage, which is why he had heat with Vince McMahon for not including his father in that Legends Battle Royal they did back in 1987. Savage went to Vince. He asked that his father be included. And this was, I don't even know if this was televised anywhere, maybe locally. But it was at like the Meadowlands or something. They were doing some sort of Legends Battle Royal. And he went to Vince and said, I want my father in the Battle Royal and... And Vince said no. And he always, you know, obviously Randy worked for Vince for many more years after that. But Lanny always said that Randy loved Vince up to that point, but he hated him for that ever since. So Savage told Bischoff that he had purchased the rights to the gorgeous George name. And he had this idea that, you know, Lanny would come in to reprise the role. Gorgeous George was the biggest star in wrestling for a time back in the 50s. When Savage first pitched the idea of bringing Lanny in, Bischoff said no. He just couldn't justify the expense. So Randy, and this is according to Eric, who's talked about this on his 83 Weeks podcast. Since he was in the midst of negotiating Savage's next deal, Savage offered to take less money to help bring his brother in. He was willing to take a pay cut. That had to be at least $100,000 so that Eric would hire Lanny. So he did. And for four years, Lanny Poffo sat at home by his phone, waiting for the call. Randy told him, bleach your hair blonde. He would call him all the time, make sure, you know, making sure he was still in shape and he was working out and nothing ever came of it. He got paid six figures to sit at home and train. Basically, that's it. And Bischoff said, you know, because of the Slim Jim deal, Randy came into WCW with that Slim Jim deal. Randy cost him nothing. Slim Jim covered his entire salary, so he got a big name from WWE for zero dollars out of pocket. And because of that, Lanny ended up costing him nothing. So however, however financially it worked out, Eric, you know, said okay because it was going to cost him nothing, but they never came up with anything for him to do. Uh, the gorgeous George gimmick eventually went to Savage's girlfriend many years later, but I always wondered, you know, why, why gorgeous George? Why, why would Randy Savage buy the rights to that name? And in reading up on Lanny a little bit more, I came across a slam wrestling story from last year where he explains everything. And I did not know this before. 
But in 1952, his father was the designated driver for the original Gorgeous George. And Randy was about to be born. And his father told George, you know, look, I'm thinking of retiring from the wrestling business. And George told him, you're nuts. If you do that, you're crazy. You've got charisma. You could be a success. You just need to give it time. And so Angelo did. And, and obviously he found uh, great success. And years later, when George fell on hard times, he was broke. And, you know, he's a raging alcoholic. Uh, and he passed away. Angelo found out that they couldn't bury him. He was not going to get a proper burial because he was broke. He had no money. So Angelo paid for his funeral. And Lanny said that his father told him, I paid for his funeral because if it wasn't for Gorgeous George, I would have quit the wrestling business. So that would explain Savage's affinity for the Gorgeous George name. I never knew that. But it goes back to my point about how important family was to Randy Savage. You know, Gorgeous George was very important to his father and therefore he was important to Randy. But Lanny had always maintained that Randy did not want to go, uh, you know, into the WWE Hall of Fame unless they put him in with his father and his brother as a family, you know, like they did with the Von Erichs. In 2015, Randy finally went in, uh, but it was by himself. And they had Hulk Hogan do the induction, so I'm sure he would have been doubly pissed at that. Even though Hogan always claims that uh, the that that fateful meeting where they bumped into each other at the same doctor at the doctor's office and all was forgiven and that's the story Hogan tells but you know the problem is I'd love to believe that that's true and that the two of them you know had a reconciliation before Savage passed away but it's fucking Hogan you know as I've said before if he's breathing you have to assume he's not telling the truth but Lanny he accepted on on his brother's behalf and he got to talk about his brother on stage at the Hall of Fame he said on his podcast once because Lanny had his own show called The Genius Cast. He only did about 20 episodes. He said he didn't see Randy's induction as a Hall of Fame induction so much as he saw it as a eulogy for his brother to let people know the kind of person that he was beyond the ring. Uh, that, and he felt that the fans were deprived of his brother giving a speech of his own one day. So that's why he agreed to allow his brother to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, even against Randy's own wishes. Because Randy was, according to Lanny, Randy was insistent that if if this is going to happen, it's got to be all three of us going in. And that's not what ended up happening. Now, look, WWE, you know, when I say that, oh, that's why Lanny agreed to allow Randy to be inducted. WWE could technically do whatever the fuck it wants. They could put Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame this year if they wanted to, right? But it's a bad look when you have family members being so publicly, adamantly against it. It's bad PR for them. So they won't do it. You know, I'll never forgive Vince McMahon for waiting until Savage was dead to induct him into the Hall of Fame for the very reason that, that Lanny said, depriving the fans of what could have been probably one of the best speeches ever given at a Hall of Fame ceremony. But yeah, we, we talk a lot. You hear me talking here a lot about Randy Savage, even though Lanny is the one who passed away, right? We talk a lot about Savage when we talk about Lanny because the two are so closely linked. In his book, and how cool is it that his autobiography was done in comic book form? I think it's only like 30 pages long, but I, I mean, how many autobiographies are done with comic book illustrations? But the way he ended his own book was not talking about himself. It was with some words from the speech that he gave inducting his brother into the Hall of Fame. And uh, John Crowther, he was uh, one of the men who collaborated with Lanny to write the book. He spoke to the ringer 
And he told the ringer, when they used to do convention appearances together, Lanny, you know, he never took any money for autographs or books or action figures for his own gain. He would accept donations to children's charities on behalf of his brother and not himself. And I think that says a lot about Lanny Poffo, the man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another week, and yet another lawsuit filed against WWE. This one on January 26th, although we only learned of it this past week. And what makes this different than the three previous lawsuits is that this one is seeking all records of the Board of Directors investigation into Vince McMahon and his hush money payments. Shareholder Dennis Palkin is suing WWE for the documents with the complaint saying there are serious questions about how Vince McMahon obtained and delivered those funds to his victims. The lawsuit calls McMahon's reappointment to the board a flagrant disregard for basic corporate governance norms. He removed three independent directors and reappointed himself as well as two of his longtime cronies. And he is seeking all documents involved in the investigation in order to find any fiduciary breach allegations. And if such a breach exists, it says the plaintiff intends to achieve what the board wanted to but could not in light of Vince McMahon's thuggery. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just trying to picture, you know, Vince storming into the, uh, into the boardroom and bullying everybody. But, uh, in light of Vince McMahon's thuggery, which is to bar him, from ever serving on the WWE board again. And Palkin wants all company files relating to the investigation and what exactly happened to lead to the departure of the six members of the board of directors. And the lawsuit is looking for more information about the, quote, horrifying allegations against McMahon and is seeking files regarding claims that he raped and sexually assaulted employees and contractors over the course of decades. So this makes four lawsuits now, uh, two of which regarded how he changed the company bylaws, making him more powerful, basically, than the board itself. Uh, Now that he controls the board, he has since dropped those bylaw changes, which effectively nullifies two of those lawsuits. But this is the first suit that is asking for all of their internal documents. And the same day this suit was filed, there was another law firm that announced they were investigating whether WWE has violated federal securities law. Now, as all of this unfolds, Nick Khan was on WWE's quarterly investor call this week, and he claimed that Vince McMahon was very willing to leave the company if the best deal to sell the company did not include him staying on. Now, I would not have expected him to say anything different, but that's what he claims. Nick Khan was also a guest on CNBC, 
on Friday morning, talking with one of their main anchors, David Faber, about a potential sale of the company, which Khan said, if it happens, he thinks it'll happen quickly. Uh, as in maybe in as little as 90 days. But Faber said something very interesting. And Faber's, you know, he's one of the main anchors on the network. He's a very well-connected guy. He's talking to CEOs and, and chairmen all the time. He told Nick Khan that from people he has spoken with, that Comcast, which owns NBC Universal, is probably not in the running to buy WWE. And Nick Khan said, well, we're still bullish on Comcast being in the running, but he said, there's not much that I can say about it. That's interesting for two reasons. For one, I had assumed that Comcast and NBC Universal would be at or near the top of the list of potential sale partners just because of how invested they are right now with WWE. They are fully in bed with WWE. I mean, they're in bed, they're under the covers, they're all snuggled up together. I mean, they're, they're thick as thieves. And it would also seem to be a good fit for NBC Universal. And, and if they're out of the running, that's one less big player for them. You know, they could still do another media rights deal. Doesn't mean they still can't work together. And that, you know, Raw won't stay on USA and, and NXT. That could still be the case, but ownership may be off the table. And the other reason this is interesting and why I think there may be some truth to this goes back to a Hollywood Reporter story that I think I even talked about at the time that it was published back in September when I was talking about AEW and their relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery. In that story, it said that at the highest levels of the entertainment industry, there is a widespread belief that Comcast is interested in merging NBC Universal with Warner Brothers Discovery as early as 2024. Because of the structure of the Warner Discovery merger, I guess that, that's the earliest that any kind of sale or merger could happen, uh, would be April of next year. But that is the belief among a lot of people, well-connected people who work in that industry and who work in media, that Comcast is just waiting to make their move. No guarantee that it would go through because there could be antitrust issues involved, but one executive is quoted in that story as saying, and this is their words, and they're not totally wrong, saying, obviously, Peacock sucks, and such a deal would give Comcast a viable streaming service. So it's possible Comcast is not interested in a WWE deal because they have their eye on something much bigger, which would be Warner Brothers Discovery, which then opens up a whole host of questions about how that would affect AEW. So if you take Comcast off the table, what's another name floating around that some people are talking about? Disney. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at Disney. Bob Iger said in December that Disney does not plan to make any significant acquisitions anytime soon. They're still under a lot of pressure from the 21st Century Fox deal they made. That's a big money deal that they made. So that could be two major players off the table if you include Disney. Now, there's still lots of other options, right? And I've run through them before. Endeavor, which owns UFC, Amazon, Netflix. But, I mean, I, I'm sure Tony Khan would want me to mention his name here. But it looks like all roads may lead back to Uncle Saudi. Very possible. Very possible. And the uh, the Hollywood Reporter had a story this week on WWE's sponsorship revenue for WrestleMania. Still two months away from WrestleMania. According to WWE Senior VP and Head of Global Sales and Partnerships, Craig Stimmel, the company's sponsorship revenue is already 43% higher than it was for the entirety of WrestleMania 38. And we're still two months away from the show. 
Another source familiar with the numbers says sponsorship revenue currently stands between 14 and $15 million, which is a new record for the event. But this was the part that caught my eye. Coming out of the uh, pitch black match that we just saw, it says a critical piece of the sponsorship puzzle for WWE in recent years has been brand integrations. At the Royal Rumble last week, there was a Mountain Dew pitch black match, which took place in near darkness, and Stimmel suggests there will be surprises at WrestleMania, specifically calling out a new sponsor, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And he is quoted as saying, I don't want to give away too much, but it'll be around a match. And the sponsorship of that match, and what they'll be able to bring to that match. Oh boy, I can't wait. You know, that's one of the few cereals I did not eat as a kid. Never ate cinnamon toast. To this very day, I still have never eaten uh, a single square of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I loved Cheerios, Apple Jacks, Cookie Crisp. Love Cookie Crisp. Fruit Loops, Golden Grams. I guess Golden Grams are kind of similar, though, right? Corn Pops, Frosted Flakes, Captain Crunch. All that shit. I loved all that shit. But I've never eaten Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And now, now of course, it's Magic Spoon. Uh, this sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, this... This sounds awful. Maybe this could be Bray Wyatt's gimmick from now on. They could have him in all the sponsored matches, since they apparently don't trust him enough to have a regular match anymore. There's always there's always red lights, neon lights, inferno flames, fun houses, swamps. They could hang a box of the stuff above the ring and have a TLC match. Tables, ladders, and cinnamon toast crunch. But for the money they probably make off the spot, I mean, look, I can't blame them. It sounds fucking terrible. But I understand why they're doing it. You know, they have two nights of WrestleMania. You figure seven or eight matches each night. For one match, they can make at least a million dollars. You know, eventually, you know full well that eventually they're going to have sponsor logos on the canvas, like WCW used to do. Uh, They're going to have them on the ringside barricades. They're going to have them wrapped around the ring posts. But uh, there you go. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There's going to be some kind of Cinnamon Toast Crunch match at WrestleMania this year. When, when you're done, you can wash down your Cinnamon Toast Crunch with your Mountain Dew Pitch Black. There won't be any Stone Cold Steve Austin match at WrestleMania this year after all. Even though he had two offers made to him. One for a match with Brock Lesnar and another for a match with Roman Reigns. And he is said to have opted against both of them, which is for the better. If those are the names they were offering... It really looked like he was training for another match, and, and maybe he was. Maybe he was keeping himself in shape in part because he wanted to make sure he was at the ready if they did come back to him with something that he wanted to do. But in the end, I think it's fine to leave well enough alone. If he really did end things in Dallas last year, I think that's perfectly fine. He went out on the highest possible note in a main event match at WrestleMania with a win in the city where he started his career. The Rock is also not wrestling at WrestleMania. He had to give WWE an answer uh, by mid-January so they could start charting their path for WrestleMania, and allegedly he told them that he didn't think he could get in the necessary ring shape in time for a match with Roman Reigns. Once we saw no rock at the Royal Rumble, that pretty much confirmed that he wasn't wrestling at WrestleMania. Now, it doesn't mean that Rock or Austin cannot appear at WrestleMania. It only means that they will not be wrestling on the show And really, if you think about it, they don't need them. They're going to sell out both nights at SoFi Stadium without them. 
which is something they have never done before. They have never sold out back-to-back nights of WrestleMania. This is going to be the first time they've ever done that. But Rock is said to have, quote, left the door open to work a match next year at WrestleMania 40. If Rock was ever going to wrestle again, the match to do was Rock against Roman Reigns. And this was the year to do it. If it was ever going to happen, this was it. The bloodline looks like it's falling apart. This feels like the peak of the tribal chief stuff. Rock is is keeping the door open for 2024, yes. Just like he kept the door open for 2023. And next year, he'll be a year older and he'll be busy with a bunch of other projects. I'm just tired of all the talk of will he or won't he. I don't want to sit through another year of this stuff. The only way this works is if Rock shows up in Mania and he fends off the other Bloodline members to give Cody a fair fight and Cody wins and they set up next year's WrestleMania match a year in advance. But how could they possibly do that? The Rock can't guarantee them this far out that he'll be able to do anything next year. So I don't see how that's even feasible. Having Rock show up to do what I just said, yes, that that he could absolutely do that if he wanted to. Not, not so much helping Cody Rhodes win so much as just making it more of a fair fight and getting the big pop. I could definitely see that. Right? The same thing Stone Cold did for The Rock when he won the title from Triple H at Backlash in 2000, although Austin did hit Triple H in the head with a chair. So, you know, I, Rock wouldn't have to uh, lay a finger on Roman Reigns, but it's the same concept. But again, I'm talking more about if they wanted to set something up with Roman a year out like this, uh, like Rock did with Cena. I just don't see how that's realistic with Rock's schedule. It's not. This was the year to do it. Now, I'm fine with them not doing it. I just don't want another year of, is this the year we get Rock and Roman? I don't want to see Rock and Roman, or I want to see Rock and Roman. At this point, I really don't give a shit. I'm over it. And this week also showed there are more important things in life to worry about. Rock posted on Instagram that late Wednesday night, his mother, who was just in attendance at the Royal Rumble last weekend, was involved in a bad car accident. The entire front passenger side of her Cadillac Escalade was crushed. And he wrote, Thank you, God, she's okay. Angels of mercy watched over my mom as she was in a car crash late last night. She'll survive and continue to get evaluated. This woman has survived lung cancer, tough marriage, a head-on collision with a drunk driver, and attempted suicide. And I remember that drunk driver accident. His mom got hit head-on by by a drunk driver. Nia Jax was with her in the car uh, when that happened, and I know she got hurt too. That that was long before the Nia Jax days, Uh, but I know she was in the car wreck there with, with Rock's mom. But he said, thank you, LAPD and LAFD, for being so caring and focused. Thanks for staying on the phone and talking me through it all. I got one parent left, so if you still got your mom and dad, make sure you hug them hard, because you never know when you'll get that 3 a.m. call that we never want to get. Amen to that. I second that advice. And I'm happy to hear that she's going to be okay. Coming off the excellent bloodline angle at the Royal Rumble, the story continued on SmackDown Friday night. A story that Michael Cole said on Pat McAfee's show that he thinks is Emmy Award worthy. Can you imagine how insufferable these people would be if they won an Emmy for this? Kevin Dunn would finally have his Emmy. 
We saw what happened with Jay Uso at the Rumble. He walked out on his family rather than join in on the beatdown on Sami Zayn. And then he went on Instagram later and posted just two words. He said, I'm out. With a drop of blood emoji. Friday night, Roman Reigns wanted to know from Jimmy Uso where his brother was. He's been off the grid ever since the Rumble. Nobody can get a hold of him. Roman said now more than ever when he needs his family the most, Jay is nowhere to be found. And Jimmy assured him that he'll be there next week for their tag team title defense against Braun Strowman and Ricochet, who beat Imperium on Friday to win the number one contenders tag team tournament. It's all good. It's all good. If he doesn't show up, I'm sure Adam Pierce will just let Solo Sokoa take his place. Right? They could they could do the, the, the Freebird deal with the Usos. He's the third Uso. Roman came out with Paul Heyman at the end of the show. And he said that he wanted to address Cody Rhodes, the winner of the Royal Rumble. But the fans were going to make him address Sami Zayn. And he accused Sami of being in the bloodline for his own benefit. He's just like all these people that he meets in public and restaurants and places. They all want something from him. And all of a sudden, a man in a hoodie came from out of nowhere and attacked Roman Reigns. And was pummeling him. And when the hoodie, uh, when he pulled the hood down, it was Sami Zayn who got a mega pop from the live crowd. Reigns got the upper hand. He called for a chair from the wise man. Sammy speared Roman to another big pop, and then he threatened to hit him with a chair, but Roman rolled out of the ring, and that's when Sammy took the mic, and he said that Roman was wrong about him. He never wanted anything from him. Until now. And what he wants is a match in Montreal at Elimination Chamber for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa, they hit the ring, they beat down Sammy. Roman stopped them, stopped Solo from hitting the kill shot because Sammy had a chair wrapped around his head. He was down in the corner. So he stopped him. Then he knelt down beside Sammy and said he was going to give him what he wants, but he wants something out of it also. He wants to break Sammy in front of his entire family, all his friends, all his family. His whole family is going to be there in Montreal. He said, your wife, your kid, your parents, all of them. Just like Sammy broke up his bloodline. This was another in a long line of fantastic segments. And now the stage is set for what is going to be one of the most fun matches that we have probably ever seen. In that city, in that building, in front of those fans. Every time they go to Montreal, the way they treat Sammy like a rock star. Imagine what it's going to be like with all of his friends and family there in the main event wrestling for the top titles. This is going to be the biggest match of Sami Zayn's life. I truly don't believe there will ever be a bigger match in this man's career than the one we are going to see at Elimination Chamber. And it is very simple. They keep us guessing between now and then about Jey Uso's involvement with the Bloodline. They keep Kevin Owens off television until the Chamber. Sammy gives Roman more of a fight than he's expecting because he's not taking this man seriously. Sammy looks like he might actually have the match won. The crowd is ready to explode. And that's when Jey Uso, after much deliberation, makes his choice. And that choice is that family is everything. And he helps Roman Reigns win the match and keep the gold in the bloodline. And then comes the post-match beatdown. Now, Jimmy Uso may not be allowed into Canada. There's, there's a lot being made about that, how both Usos won't be there. 
I don't know that that affects Jey Uso. It might. It's possible that Jey Uso will not be allowed into Canada either. I am not 100% sure about Jey. Jey is the key one here. If they have Jey, then they're all good. So you've got Roman, you've got Jey, you've got Solo Sokoa. They're all beating down Sammy after the match. Until Kevin Owens makes his return to make the save for his best friend. Bitter rival and best friend. He clears the ring. We've got KO on one side. We've got Sammy on the other. They stare down each other. The crowd wants them to hug. And then they reunite. To a huge ovation. And even though Sami Zayn did not win the titles, we get the big pop to close out the show with Owens and Zayn back together and united and ready to challenge the Usos at WrestleMania for the tag team titles. It would be a wonderful story for Sami Zayn to be the one who finally beat Roman Reigns. But it is not going to happen. If they wanted it to happen, then Sami Zayn should have won and would have won the Royal Rumble. You have all the blood, and I, I, when I was going into the Royal Rumble and actually thinking about this, it's a very easy way they could have done this. You have all the bloodline guys except Roman in the Rumble match with the idea that, all right, if you guys stick together and we win this match, right? One of us is going to win this Rumble and we protect Roman from somebody else getting a title shot at WrestleMania. But along the way, Jimmy gets dumped, Jay gets dumped, Solo Sokoa is eliminated, I, f- I was thinking at the time, maybe by, you know, a returning Matt Riddle, uh, since Solo is the one who put him out of action. I know they said six weeks on television for a Riddle return, but uh, if this was his second suspension, which apparently it was, that's a minimum 60 days out, which would have put him out of the Rumble, which is why we didn't see him there. But then Sammy is the lone bloodline member left in the Rumble, and he ends up winning the whole damn thing. Then they could have milked the story out several more weeks before finally shooting the angle where Sammy has a change of heart and he refuses to surrender his title shot at WrestleMania and then they excommunicate him from the bloodline like they did at the Royal Rumble. Because that's his final test. Not not what we saw at the Rumble. The final test could have been, are you willing to surrender your championship main event match at WrestleMania? And you could have Owens or other people trying to trying to talk some sense into Sammy and tell him, you know, don't do this. But in the end, Sammy decides that he can't do it and he fails that final test of loyalty and the bloodline uh, beats him down. And now you get to the same point that we're at at this moment, only it's for WrestleMania instead of Elimination Chamber. In a different timeline, that is how I would have booked a Sami Zayn Royal Rumble win and WrestleMania match with Roman Reigns. WWE stuck to their plan, which was, if Rock can't commit to a WrestleMania match, then we go with Cody Rhodes as the backup plan. That was the choice that they made. And if Cody is going to be their guy coming out of WrestleMania for the long haul, then it was the right choice, because the man who beats Roman Reigns really should be the the next person they want to build their television around. At least on the Raw brand. Maybe they split the titles finally and we get a different Universal Champion on SmackDown. You know, if, if Gunther drops the IC title in Mania, which I think he should, it frees him up then to challenge for the Universal title by SummerSlam, if not before. So anybody thinking, you know, Sammy should win or Sammy has a chance to win, Sammy is not winning anything. This close to WrestleMania, Roman Reigns is not losing at least until then, and maybe not even then, if they want to get him to a thousand days as champion, because that would take them through the end of May. 
but he is not losing before WrestleMania. And this idea that I've seen some people floating of a triple threat match at WrestleMania with Roman and Cody and Sammy, that's even worse. So far, it's only been a few weeks. Actually, it hasn't even been a few weeks. Cody won the Royal Rumble a week ago. But so far, the crowds have not shown any desire either at the Rumble or on Raw Monday night to boo Cody just because he won the Rumble and Sammy did not. They're not taking it out so far on Cody Rhodes. There's no reason to. The Bloodline story has been stellar. WWE has given us the best storytelling they've done in years. This is not Daniel Bryan in 2014, adding him to the main event to make it a triple threat. That was the right move for them to do back then. Adding him to the match with Batista and Randy Orton was the right move. It would not be the right move now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Someone emailed me something they saw on Reddit comparing uh, the, the Sammy and the Cody situation to Austin and Mankind in 1999. I wouldn't use Austin and Mankind as the example. I would use Austin and McMahon as the example of a big match that people wanted to see that they blew off right before WrestleMania. That was what people were dying to see for almost a year when they finally did that cage match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, again, different circumstances then because Rock was the champion. So Rock had to be in the WrestleMania main event that year. I'm just making the point that sometimes it's okay to give away a big match like that on the show right before WrestleMania if they have another strong match planned for Mania. It's not as if this sort of thing has not happened before. But if you want to sabotage Cody Rhodes, then by all means, go ahead and book a triple threat match. That would be the worst thing they could do. In fact, what I would do, at some point between now and Elimination Chamber, I would have a segment on television where Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn are together in the same place at the same time. Either in the ring, or in a backstage segment together. Maybe they bump into each other. I would have Cody endorse Sammy and shake the man's hand and tell him he's proud of him for standing up to Roman Reigns and wish him luck. Tell him he looks forward to wrestling him at WrestleMania. But he leaves Sammy with a word of warning. Just know that if you don't get the job done, I will. And from there, as long as they don't get too heavy-handed with the Cody promos between the Chamber and Mania, Cody, I think, is going to be just fine. You may have a small contingent of fans who want to rebel, but you're not going to have this 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 groundswell, these sweeping negative reactions to Cody in every city that they go to. Again, there may be certain cities and certain places where the reaction is not as positive as it was for him on Monday night, but this is not, I don't see this as 2014 or 2015 all over again. And maybe they do get a little heavy-handed with the Cody promos. Maybe he does start to come off more as 
pandering to the crowd. Some people think he already does. That they have to be careful with because that's a surefire way to turn the crowd against him. That's the last thing that WWE wants. Now, Sami Zayn could still get his WrestleMania main event this year, but it would be on night one. And it would not be against Roman Reigns. Uh, it's possible, but not likely, uh, that he could get that main event spot anyway. Because on Raw Monday night, Rhea Ripley made her choice. She will be challenging Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship and not Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's title. Uh, making their match the first one-on-one women's rematch in WrestleMania history. And it will likely be Charlotte's second ever main event at WrestleMania because it is hard for me to see them not putting her on last. The only reason that she and Ronda Rousey did not go on last at 38 was because they had Stone Cold Steve Austin. His first match in 19 years in Texas. That was never not going to be the main event. Otherwise, it would have been them. And that would have been terrible because their WrestleMania match was a big fat disappointment. They had a much better match at Backlash. Ric Flair on his, on his podcast was talking about this match being the main event with Charlotte and Rhea. I don't know if he's been clued in about something that we haven't been, but that's what I see headlining night one. I don't think he's wrong. But they're in a unique position this year because really, The way I see it, they have three potential main events on night one of WrestleMania. KO and Sammy against the Usos. Look, it's hard to imagine them headlining with a tag team title match, but with the run that the Usos have been on, right? I think closing in soon on 600 days as the tag team champions. And the way the Bloodline story has progressed, we get the big celebration when they win. And if they go off the air with that on night one, you get the cliffhanger ending of, is this what's to come for Roman Reigns tomorrow night? Will the bloodline lose all the gold? Is this only just the beginning of a bad weekend for the tribal chief? If it's my decision to make, I headline with the tag team titles on night one. But there's a third option. Besides the tag title match and the women's title match, there is a third option because I said during my Royal Rumble review that I think the match at WrestleMania for the Intercontinental title is going to be Gunther defending against both Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. And then I saw WrestleVotes tweeted this just the other day. I'm told, while not decided 100%, there are plans to feature an Intercontinental title three-way match at WrestleMania, Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew McIntyre. There are a number of supporters within Creative that not only want the match, but they want it towards the top. TBD. The one thing I have not been able to figure out, as I have been mapping out this WrestleMania card now for, for a while, is where do you put Drew McIntyre? After the Royal Rumble, it was pretty clear that he's going to be involved with the other two. He might even get a title match first with Gunther at Elimination Chamber. And he won't win there, but then we end up with a triple threat at WrestleMania, which would be an incredible match. And it's another one that you could headline with. This is the least likely of the three options. I, I, I get that. I understand that. This is the least likely of the three. But how great would it be? To see the Intercontinental title defended in one of the WrestleMania main events. Something that we have not seen happen since 1990. You know, they like to talk about WrestleMania moments and about the importance of story in this company, right? What a great chapter of the story it would be for Sheamus to finally win that title in the main event of WrestleMania. So, as I see it, they have three viable options, but I think... In the end, they're going to want Charlotte Flair in that spot. I wanted Rhea Ripley against Bianca Belair. 
but they opted for Charlotte Flair. They have history. Charlotte beat her at WrestleMania 36, and Rhea was worse off because of it, until the Judgment Day came along. There's a redemption story there for her now. And as long as she goes in there and wins, I'm okay with them doing the match. I think the two of them are actually going to have a great match. But Rhea needs to win. But to go back to Cody, uh, he was a guest on The Bump this week. And he made it clear that should he beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, he wants to bring back the old winged eagle design. So through my youth, the WWE that I was watching was really synonymous with the winged eagle. I think there's a lot of people who love the winged eagle design. Some people like the big eagle, but the winged eagle was the one for me. Today's design with the giant W is also incredibly special because it's this walking billboard for the promotion. Boy, you know, the, the way this guy speaks, he should run for office. <laughs> he, he's got a way with words where he would make a great politician, this guy. He said, I don't want people to think I'm calling a shot. I don't want people to think I'm going into business for myself. The reality is I was able to change the Intercontinental Championship once before, which seemed absurd. If I'm able to get to the finish line, biggest WrestleMania of all time, SoFi, in Hollywood, if I'm able to get to the finish line and get my hands on these things that, like I said, have eluded my family up until now, maybe it's just a pipe dream, maybe it's just a thought, a glimmer, but it would be fun to say, let's just boil them down. I love the way he he describes that. It's like... uh it's like Kama when he melted the Undertaker's uh, urn down into a chain. Let's boil them down and bring back the winged eagle. It's just a little pipe dream. I had the same pipe dream with the Intercontinental title, and I was lucky enough to make that come to fruition. So follow along, because this is where the fun begins. Nobody would love to see the winged eagle return more than me. But I don't see it. He had to convince them to bring back the old Intercontinental design. But it was a mid-card title. I, I doubt very seriously they cared much about that. This is different. Like he said, the top titles, they're a walking billboard for this company. They're going to send him to the Chiefs or to the Eagles after the Super Bowl next weekend. They're going to send him to the Mets after they win the World Series this year. They love seeing their giant logo belts on ESPN. I cannot see the Eagle coming back. They already have a giant Eagle. On the U.S. title. But it's nice to dream. It's it's still the greatest belt. You know, like what you like. In my opinion, the Winged Eagle is still the best. Big gold from the 80s looked incredible. For some reason, yeah, like late 90s WCW and even in WWE, I never thought the big gold belt looked as good as it did when, when Flair was carrying it like 86, 87. That was an incredible, incredible belt. Gorgeous belt. The Big Eagle, you know, was nice too from the Attitude Era. The IWGP belt was the best looking belt in all of wrestling until they changed it. Now I would, I would give that distinction to the AEW world title. But it was 35 years ago today. The winged eagle appeared on live television for the very first time. 33 million people tuned in to NBC to see Hulk Hogan lose that title to Andre the Giant. In one night, it started with Hogan, it went to Andre's shoulder, and it ended up around Ted DiBiase's waist. That eagle got a lot of action. WWE announced two Elimination Chamber matches this year. One with Austin Theory defending the United States Championship. And one to determine a number one contender for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. Theory, Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed. They are already in. 
Two more qualifiers are happening on Raw tomorrow night with Angelo Dawkins wrestling Damian Priest and Montez Ford taking on Elias. Uh, those should be wins for Priest and Ford. Ford, Ford I think, is going to have a breakout year as a single this year. I picture him in this year's Money in the Bank match. I don't see him winning it. I, I have LA Knight as my early pick to win the briefcase, but uh, I think there's going to be a big year for Montez Ford. The U.S. title being on the line in the chamber feels like it's designed to get the belt off of Theory ahead of a WrestleMania match with John Cena. Beating Cena at WrestleMania means far more to his career than being the U.S. champion does. Uh, I don't have a problem with how they're doing the chamber this year because the match that people are really tuning in for is Roman Reigns against Sami Zayn. This is just one of those years where there's a match on that pay-per-view that is much bigger than any of the chamber matches. And since we already have a number one contender set for WrestleMania, it rendered the chamber unnecessary this year. But when you have a gimmick pay-per-view, you can't just say, well, we're not going to do Elimination Chamber this year because you got to plan this shit out months in advance. You know, they already had the chairs made for the ringside fans with Sammy's face on it months ago. All the advertising and the posters, right? When you have a gimmick pay-per-view, oh, it's February, it's time for the Elimination Chamber. This is the problem you run into. The Chamber this year is completely unnecessary. But they had to do it. And I would much rather, you know, do what they're doing, which is Roman and Sammy in a singles match, than stick them in a chamber match with four other people. So we've got six men in there. The three likeliest to walk out with the belt, I see, being Theory, Rollins, or Reed. And if it's me, I put the belt on Bronson Reed and I give him the monster push. He's been very impressive in what little we've seen of him so far. I think we're getting Rollins and Logan Paul at WrestleMania. I could see that U.S. title being on the line there. But I I would not be beating Bronson Reed this early. If he's in the chamber, right, unless he wins it, he's going to have to lose. This is not... This is not a triple threat or a fatal four-way or a scramble match, you know, one fall to a finish, he doesn't have to get pinned. He's either winning the chamber or he's getting beaten. I I wouldn't be beating him this early. Now, the women's chamber match so far has the final four from the women's Royal Rumble match, Asuka, Raquel Rodriguez, Liv Morgan, and Nikki Cross. They added Natalia on Friday, who won a fatal four-way over Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, and Zelina Vega. And it shouldn't be a surprise there. They're going to they're be in Canada. So that's why Natty won. And the final spot in the women's chamber is going to be decided in another four-way on Raw tomorrow night. We have the returning Carmella, Candice LeRae, Mia Yim, and Piper Niven. I would like to see Piper Niven get it. But I would have Asuka win the chamber so we get Bianca defending the Raw women's title of WrestleMania against the Murder Clown. And then I have a feeling it ends up being turned into a fatal four-way with Becky Lynch and Bailey being added because there's no other obvious spot for the two of them at WrestleMania, if not in the championship match. Consider this. Every WrestleMania that Becky Lynch has been on since she first got over as the man has been a championship match. WrestleMania 35, right? She's in the main event. She unifies the titles. WrestleMania 36, she beats Shayna Baszler to retain. WrestleMania 37, she just had a baby a few months before, so she didn't wrestle. Last year, she and Bianca, they stole the show for the Raw Women's title. So unless they have something big or bigger planned for Becky Lynch, and I have no idea what that would be. You know, we we read a few months ago that Becky and Ronda was not happening. And why should it? There was nothing during her most recent run, Ronda's most recent run, that would get me excited about seeing Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey. That feels like it's come and gone. 
So if that's not happening, what the hell else do you do with Becky Lynch? Of course, she'll be wrestling for a championship. That's why I think it'll ultimately turn into a fatal four-way. Brock Lesnar is said to be wrestling in Montreal and Los Angeles, so that can mean two more matches with Bobby Lashley. And per The Observer, the reason that Edge did not wrestle Finn Balor, as was originally rumored for the Royal Rumble, was because he was busy filming a Disney Plus series. So that's probably the WrestleMania match, possibly inside Hell in a Cell, because Hell in a Cell was the the rumored match from WrestlingNews.co. They said that it was supposed to be a Hell in a Cell match at the uh, Rumble. So it could still end up being inside the cell. At Elimination Chamber, though, they seem to be setting up, based on what happened at the end of the show on Monday, it looks like they're setting up for either Edge and Beth Phoenix against Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley, or maybe three-on-three with Edge, Beth, and Cody to give Cody something to do against Balor, Dominic, and Rhea. Especially if Damian Priest gets into the chamber for the U.S. title, he wouldn't be available. So you could do Balor, Dominic, and Rhea. So that's kind of how things are shaping up right now. Dave Batista, whose Knock at the Cabin movie just came out on Friday. I'm seeing mixed reviews for it. Not for Batista's performance for the movie. He did an interview with ComicBook.com for the film and said that he is actively trying to be part of this year's WWE Hall of Fame class. Uh, Now, Batista was supposed to headline the 2020 Hall of Fame before COVID ruined everything. So they ended up honoring the 2020 class With the 2021 inductees, they did a a pre-taped event inside the Thunderdome with no fans. There were no inductors. Speeches were limited to five minutes. Batista wanted no part of that. I think he claimed at the time he had other commitments. He had other obligations. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But he asked the company to induct him some other time so that he could properly thank the fans. Last year was back in front of fans and they did not put him in because they headlined with The Undertaker. And if you've got The Undertaker as your headline attraction, there's no need to put Batista in if he's not headlining. Save him for another year. Well, guess what? This year, they're in Hollywood. Triple H is probably choosing, or has a hand now, in choosing the names that are going in. It would make sense, right? So Batista said, I hope so. I hope so, but I can't say for sure. I can say that I'm trying. I am trying. Batista shouldn't have to try too hard. If he's available and he wants to do it, it's a no-brainer. He should be headlining this year's Hall of Fame class. No questions asked. He was my pick to headline when I did my predictions this year. I said Batista, William Regal, Lex Luger, Mickey James, and the great Muda. I, I would love to see Demolition go in as a uh, tag team inductee. You know, I know they were part of the big concussion lawsuit against the company. So what? They had Henry Godwin at Survivor Series a couple of years ago when they did the Undertaker final farewell in the Thunderdome, and and his name was on that fucking lawsuit too. So, I don't want to hear it. You know what I do like to hear, though? That this week's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. You know what's not fair? I'll tell you what's not fair. The fact that Netflix hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location, and then has the nerve to raise their prices on you. Yes, they've just raised their prices once again. Now, you could always cancel your subscription in protest, but Netflix has a lot of great content. So instead, you could be smart about it and make sure that you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like I do. You know, you may not be aware of the fact that what's on Netflix in your country is different from what somebody in, let's say, the UK or Japan has on theirs. 
Using ExpressVPN, I can control which country I want Netflix to think I'm in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. I just watched a movie called Jolt that sounded interesting to me. It's about a bouncer who lets all of her rage out after her lover is murdered. You can't find it on U.S. Netflix. But with one tap of a button, ExpressVPN sent me to Germany, where I was able to watch it, and I never had to leave my house. And here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows and movies on other streaming services, too. It's also super fast, and it works on your phone, laptop, and smart TV, so you can watch on the big screen with no buffering. So stop paying full price for streaming services only to get a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash solomonster. And don't forget to use my link so you can get three extra months of ExpressVPN free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Solomonster. ExpressVPN dot com slash Solomonster. AEW got some big press this week with a cover story in Business Week magazine. And uh, this cover, holy shit, this is the stuff of nightmares. They put Tony Khan's face on some jacked up body with what looks like Ultimate Warrior's frizzed out hair and the AEW world title around his waist, and the headline, The Billionaire's Son Coming for WWE. I'm sure he must have been elated by the fact that they put WWE in humongous type. I mean, this thing takes up almost half the page. Just these giant WWE initials. And then underneath, in a little tiny font, you can barely read, it says, Tony Khan's All Elite Wrestling is taking on Vince McMahon's Volatile Empire. It was basically a a primer for non-wrestling fans about WWE and AEW. But this was my favorite part. The average AEW viewer is more of a wrestling nerd than the casual WWE fan, many of whom don't care to learn the textbook's worth of insider slang that might enrich their understanding of what is happening in the ring. Wrestling jargon rivals the most abstruse corporate speak. Take this lingo jambalaya. On the go-home show, the babyface got a huge pop as he delivered a work-shoot promo, chiding his opponent as a glorified jobber who has garnered massive heat for botching spots ever since he turned heel and left the stable. Get all that? AEW fans did. They talked to Brian Danielson as well for uh, this article, and he said that in early 2020, so only a few months after Dynamite debuted, He got a call at home from Vince McMahon, because he was home, he was on paternity leave. He got a call at home from Vince McMahon, asking him if he saw anything that AEW was doing better than WWE. Which is nice to hear, actually, that he had an interest in learning if the competition was doing something better than, than them, that they could improve on. I actually think that's a good thing. Brian was, uh, you know, spending then the next uh, couple of weeks watching every minute of AEW, and he saw that they put more focus on the in-ring product, and he told Vince, he goes, when I watch WWE, it feels like you're watching a wrestling show without any wrestling. Which is actually how a lot of people felt about the WWE product for a very long time. But, I mean, outside of that little anecdote, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot in the story that you would not have already known. They, they say that AEW broke $100 million in annual revenue for the first time last year. And that they are considering starting a streaming service, likely through a deal with Warner Brothers Discovery. That's not really news, unless they're close to an actual deal, which Meltzer says they're not. Uh, they also said that Fight Forever is due out this month, which it clearly is not. 
And uh, they must have changed the article because when I go back to the story now, it says the game is due out later this year. Yeah, it does mention that Tony Khan has spent tens of millions of dollars to create and market the Fight Forever video game. So he really needs that thing to be a success. Whenever it finally does come out, he needs that thing to be a success so he can at least break even on his investment. AEW announced the launch of its first live event series this week called AEW House Rules. Uh, these are their first house shows on the road. The first one will be Saturday, March 18th in Troy, Ohio. With John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Darby Allen, Orange Cassidy, and Britt Baker listed so far. I said this on the stream Wednesday after the news broke. This is one of the reasons, if not the chief reason, that Tony Khan hired Jeff Jarrett as their director of business development. Before WWE let him go, he was overseeing their live events. And he has past live event experience with Impact. Uh, it's a good thing to do because they have such a big roster and it gives them a chance to work. Uh, especially the younger talent, but they will not sell any tickets unless they have stars on the show. If they don't, they should probably just stick to running small venues. But this was always the next logical step for them, you know, as the company grew and now they're in year four, right? They're heading into the full uh, fourth year of their existence here and the roster has expanded. They have a lot of big names, but they also have a lot of young talent that's unproven, uh, that they're hoping to promote and, and, and grow. And you have people like Jungle Boy and Hook and, you know, Darius Martin and Dante Martin and all, all sorts of, of young talent who would flourish, I think, if you just give them more, uh, reps and more ring time. Now, some of them also, you know, they book their own independent shots. Uh, they're working independent dates. You don't have to have a full WWE live event schedule. I think also there's a lot of people, frankly, who probably signed with AEW wanting to avoid that. They like the idea of not necessarily having live events every week and being able to maybe book their own shots. But this was the next logical step for this company. The challenge now is going to be how do tickets sell uh, at a time when it seems like their live event business, when they sell tickets you know, for Dynamite and stuff, is a lot softer than it was a year ago. Now they're going to be having more events. Now they're going to be going on the road. In the absence of having some big names on those shows, I think it's going to be a real challenge for them to move tickets. So we'll uh, we'll see how this little experiment goes. But Dynamite on Wednesday night, uh, just to uh, talk about some of the key stuff that happened there, it ended with one of the most vicious main events, or matches of any kind, main event or otherwise, in Dynamite history with a bloody Samoa Joe standing tall over Darby Allen. He is once again... The TNT champion. Joe Joe is just extra sadistic when he is in there with Darby. And I know it's not good for Darby's health, but I love it when Joe and Darby are in the ring together. I just love it. And uh, this was this was fun, but there were also points where I was genuinely concerned about Darby. Uh, Wardlow is back. He came back at the end of the match, so he didn't cost Joe the match like I thought he would, but he did show up after the match. And laid waste to a bunch of security people. He tried to powerbomb Joe. Joe got away. I was not expecting them to play hot potato with the title like that so soon after Darby won it back. Darby only won the belt back about a month ago. Right? It was the first dynamite of the new year, I believe. And looking back on it now, it seems pretty clear to me that one of the reasons, if not the main reason, that they did what they did is to give him a big hometown win. When Darby won the championship back, he was in his hometown. So it made for a great moment in the main event. Uh, I'm also thinking that maybe they wanted him to bring the belt with him to Japan when he tagged with Sting and Muda, right? He was there only about a week, week and a half ago. 
look, I think it's fine. They had him on television defending it every week. They got use out of him in the role, at least, being champion. So long as they don't make a habit out of playing hot potato with this thing all the time, uh, and I think Wardlow is going to get the belt back from Joe when they eventually meet, uh, and then he should hold on to it for a while. And this time, Tony Khan needs to do better with Wardlow and, you know, make sure he doesn't fuck things up with him the way he did last time. He had a very forgettable run as the champion the first time. That cannot happen again. That cannot happen to Wardlow again. But uh, I don't hate on uh, them giving Darby a little run with the belt the way they did. Again, as long as it doesn't become some sort of recurring pattern where the belt is just bouncing back and forth to different people like a ping pong ball, uh, I think it's fine. And and I always enjoyed uh, Darby in that role. You know, and he again, he's one of the, the bigger stars they have in that company. They put him on television every week. He was a defending champion. He had the open challenge. He was facing different people. He had the match with uh, Juice Robinson, I think, on one of the rampages. He wrestled Kushida. He had all kinds of matches. Uh, so I'm I'm fine with that. But yes, it was a little weird that they took the title off of him the way they did when they could have just kept it on Joe and, and waited for Wardlow to come back. I guess Wardlow was dealing with some kind of injury and now he's back and we all end up in the same place anyway. John Moxley and Hangman Page. They had a third meeting with each other. This issue is not over yet. Even though Moxley got the win, this is not over. And they had a very good match. I did not like this match as much as I did their previous two matches. Uh, but now it looks like this is going to continue probably into Revolution. Now, I thought maybe they would do a Lights Out match. But they usually save those for the end of the pay-per-view as like an unsanctioned match. Uh, and I can't see this going on last after the Iron Man match between MJF and, and Brian Danielson. So it'll probably end up being some kind of death match. I'm sure it'll be. I mean, Moxley is involved. <laughs> if they're blowing this thing off and Moxley is involved, there'll be some kind of fucking death match type stipulation involved. They'll be bleeding in the first 30 seconds of the match. We all know that. Uh, speaking of Danielson, he got a win over Timothy Thatcher, who they brought in from Pro Wrestling Noah. He beat Thatcher. Now he has to wrestle Roosh on Dynamite coming up this Wednesday. And if he can beat Roosh, then I think he has fulfilled all of his uh, obligations to MJF. And the Iron Man match at Revolution will be official. MJF is going to be wrestling on Wednesday as well. Uh, non-title. It's going to be an Eliminator match, but he'll be going one-on-one with... Konosuke Takeshita, who has been uh, watching Brian's back, he stepped up for him on Wednesday, MJF tried to interfere, and Takeshita ran interference and brawled with him to the back, so uh, they have a bunch of matches already lined up for the show on Wednesday, they're having the Elite defend their trios titles against AR Fox in top flight, but we've got two big matches here, Brian Danielson and Roosh, and Takeshita and MJF, and MJF does not wrestle very often on TV, so when he does... It feels kind of like a big deal, and Takeshita is awesome in everything he's in. So uh, I'm really looking forward to those uh, matches on Wednesday night. Kota Ibushi is officially a free agent. His New Japan deal expired on Tuesday. He did not have any interest in negotiating a new deal with them, so it expired, and he is now a free man. Uh, that's a big name for New Japan to lose, and their loss is going to be someone else's gain. First... It's going to be GCW's game. They immediately booked him for their collective events, WrestleMania weekend in LA. March 30th, for Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, it'll be Ibushi against Speedball Mike Bailey. Ibushi personally requested Speedball to be his first opponent in 16 months. It's been a while since he's been in the ring. And then on March 31st, he's going to be wrestling for Joey Janela's Spring Break with an opponent to be determined. 
On the possibility of wrestling for AEW, Ibushi says that he first wants to open his own school in Japan. And once that has been worked out, then he thinks he'll have talks with AEW. All I could think is, oh, if Kenny Omega and Tony Khan have anything to say about it, he will definitely be having talks with AEW. It's only a matter of time before they get him. Maybe not for anything long term. I I don't get the sense Ibushi is all that interested in ever signing any sort of long term contract with anyone uh, ever again. But there's not a doubt in my mind they will get him at some point this year, whether it's for a match or a handful of matches. Uh, But I believe we will see Ibushi in an AEW ring before this year is out. And a quick update on Jay Briscoe's daughters, one of whom is now home. Uh, this is according to a Facebook update from the organizers of the family's online fundraiser. Uh, Jay's wife, Ashley, communicated this to them, and they shared the update with all of us. That JJ, their nine-year-old daughter, was released from the hospital this week. She is back home. She will have to wear her neck and back brace for four more weeks at which point she will return to the hospital to have her back brace surgically removed. Gracie is their 12-year-old daughter, the one who who does uh, dance. She will be moved to the rehab floor of the hospital that she is at so that she can focus on physical therapy towards regaining the use of her legs below the knee. Uh, She has feeling in her legs, but she is still unable to move them below the knees. And she did note to her sister... Uh, that her leg, which felt as if it was tingling nonstop, uh, felt normal as of Thursday night, which is a positive step. And I'm hoping that she can start moving her legs soon, but at least she has feeling in them, so that's a good thing. Other news and notes, uh, Keiji Muto is scheduled to wrestle his final ever match in just two weeks at the Tokyo Dome against Tetsuya Naito, and it is not looking good. Because in his own words, he is dealing with hamstring tears in both of his legs at 60 years old. Hamstring tears in a man half that age would be bad, let alone at 60 and with his bad knees. And he says as of right now, as of this moment, he is unable to walk. Kind of hard to have a match when you can't walk. According to an article in Tokyo Sports on Wednesday, he suffered the tears in the match that he had tagging with Sting and Darby Allin at his final bye-bye show, which was his last match ever as the Great Muda. He said the injuries have made it difficult for him to stand up. Uh, I did see footage of Darby Allin wheeling him around in a wheelchair after that match. It looked like his his grandson was uh, wheeling him, or his emo grandson was wheeling him around. He said that it's been 10 days since I hurt them, but it has not healed at all. I feel sick. Damn it. And he said that he was already dealing with back pain before suffering the hamstring tears and that he went into that match out of shape. He said, actually, I was in bad shape before I went in there that day. I had back pain. I don't know what triggered it, but I was out of shape. The pain in my knee is chronic and I'm used to it, but my muscles are in a lot of pain. I think I put extra strain on my knee and hip joints by protecting them. I feel like I've been given a test by the wrestling gods. I don't know what to do. I train only my upper body, but it's really hard to do that also. It is stressing me out. Now, they've got a lot of talent from all of the Japanese promotions working that show. Uh, that's where they're doing the match with Okada and Kiyomiya. Uh, Muto's in the main event, so he better hope his legs can miraculously heal enough in the next two weeks to where he can at least have a serviceable match. 
Uh, Pro Wrestling Noah posted a 20-minute video interview with Muto on uh, Friday where Muto said that Naito was not his first choice to be his opponent. The person they tried to get as his final opponent was The Rock. But his fee was too high. He said in the billions of yen. Well, maybe The Rock is uh, leaving the door open for next year, though, as he is with Roman Reigns. Muto would have to unretire so that he could retire again if The Rock says he could do the match next year. Uh, let's talk about this NXT Vengeance Day show. Last night, NXT held its Vengeance Day event on the road in Charlotte, North Carolina. They had around 5,000 people in the building, and this this is what they need more of. They need to get out of the performance center for these big shows. I can understand shooting the weekly television from the PC, but these major shows cannot be held at the PC anymore. Last night was a good example of why that is. They had a good crowd last night. It it just gives it a bigger feel, right? The reason that they went off the road and they stopped doing the big shows on the road was because of COVID. Well, now everything is back to normal as far as WWE live events and AEW live events. And there is no reason that NXT cannot at least take a handful of these big shows that they do every year and get back out on the road. They've now had a couple of years to reestablish the roster, right? Establish some of the newer talent. I can understand it first. You had a lot of people on the show. People didn't know who they were and how are you going to sell tickets for something like that. But now they have built up enough of these people and they have a few main roster people helping out. There's no reason for them not to be on the road going forward uh, for these big shows. And they had last night a black and gold. That, that opening match had a black and gold takeover feel to it. And that was it. I can't say that about the rest of the show. The rest of the show was good. It was not great. It was good. I have seen better, even from this new version of NXT, I have seen better. Wesley and Donovan Dijak, they tore the house down in that opening match. They had the type of match that Jim Cornette used to hate in Ring of Honor and got them to stop doing when he joined the company. And he wasn't wrong in that guys would go out there in the very first match on those ROH shows thinking that they were in the main event. And they would not leave anything for the people who came later on with all the big moves and false finish after false finish after false finish. You know, there were three or four times here where I thought the match should have been over. That would be my main critique, that they went overboard with the near falls. Lee hit him with a, for, I'll give you an example. Lee hit him with a spiral tap at one point. And they, they shot it really well too. They got this like, kind of overhead view of the move as he was soaring through the air, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, overhead, but like from the side. But he hits the the spiral tap, and Dijak kicked out. But then a handspring Pele kick is what beat him in the end. <laughs> that kind of stuff just bugs the shit out of me. But even still, the, these two had the match of the night. I mean, it wasn't even close. These two had the match of the night. Uh, Vic Joseph did not call a single move in the last three or four minutes of the match for all the shit that they were doing. Not one move was called. It was all boom. Ooh, oh, that's all we got. He didn't mention Tony D'Angelo by name either when he came out with stacks to take the bullet for Wesley on the floor. Uh, they took the brunt of the moonsault by Dijak and basically saved the North American title for Wesley. So the Dijak-D'Angelo feud looks to continue. I don't know why they would... I don't know why they would have done that unless, again, we're, we're talking kayfabe-wise now. Why would D'Angelo and Stax have stood in the way of the moonsault 
unless it was strictly to get revenge on Dijak for what Dijak did to Stax and prevent him from winning the title. But here's my question: Then why not just beat him up and get Wesley disqu- and get him uh, get Wesley disqualified? <laughs> so that way the title doesn't change hands, right? You still get the same result, but without taking a moonsaw from a fucking six foot seven man. So I thought that was uh, pretty dumb. So yeah, looking ahead, maybe we get a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver uh, for the North American title. Wesley is is great. Wesley is great. He has found his footing after losing his tag team partner. And it's also great to finally see Dijak back to his old self after being buried in the muck for the past two and a half years. That's two and a half years of his career that he can never get back. What was not great to see was his middle finger, which was bent sideways when the match was over. Somehow, the finger was not broken. According to Shawn Michaels on the post-show media call, they took an x-ray and I guess it was just displaced. So they had to numb his hand and they were going to set it back in place. It's like watching that Ray Phoenix injury on Dynamite last year when he landed on the floor on his arm. And I was, I mean, I, everybody was certain that he had snapped his arm in half. And yet the arm wasn't broken. I, I can't believe the finger wasn't broken. It looked ridiculously nasty, but uh, I guess it could have been worse. With Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fallon Henley and Kiana James. They ended the 186-day reign of Katana Chance and Caden Carter as the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. That is the longest women's tag team title reign, NXT or main roster, since they revived the women's tag titles with Sasha Banks and Bayley. And I have said this before, Chance and Carter, they have become a great tag team. And I think after this run, they are now main roster ready. They've been down there for a very long time. Henley got the pin, but did not see James outside the ring holding down Caden Carter's legs to give them the tainted victory. Uh, James had been working as a heel. If you've been following these storylines, and I know a lot of people at this point don't, but if you've been following the storyline, you know, Kiana James had been working as a heel. And basically still is. Until we got to this whole unlikely pairing between these two. Henley has been a babyface with Briggs and Jensen. So it makes sense that she would use heel tactics to win because that's what she is. She never stopped being a heel. She's a heel who's going to win at all costs. The question now is what happens when Henley finds out? Does it cause problems between them again? Or does she come around to the same tactics? You know, Kiana James has also been playing Jensen like a fiddle. She's got him wrapped around her finger, so I imagine that things are not going to end well for the baby faces here. I've compared this story to what WWE did with Sonny and the Smoking Guns back in 96. 
the way Sonny had Billy Gunn wrapped around her finger and it led to the breakup of their team. To be fair, though, to be fair to Billy, Sonny had all of us wrapped around her finger back then. I, I would have loved to have been wrapped around any part of Sonny back then. And uh, today I'm more worried about her wrapping her car around a tree and who she might hurt. Carmelo Hayes beat Apollo Crews two straight falls in their two out of three falls match, which was a surprise. Uh, credit to Apollo coming from the main roster. He's been very giving, putting over Braun Breaker, putting over Carmelo Hayes in two straight falls. This was the match I was expecting to be the show stealer. And it was very good, but it felt a little off to me. I don't know why. I don't know exactly what it was, but... Uh, we What we got was still very good. This was not the match of the night, but it was still very good. Trick Williams, late in the match, he exposed one of the turnbuckles and whatever his master plan was, it backfired. And Cruz shot Mello into the exposed buckle. Trick went to go use a steel chair when who should show up but Commander Aziz. Only it was not Commander Aziz. He's back to being Daba Kato from the Raw Underground days. And he took care of Trick. But in the ring, Hayes recovered. He hit his leaping leg slice uh, off the top rope for the win. And I see here, for some reason, I wrote leaking leg slice in my notes. (laughs) If you've got a leaky leg, you should definitely have a doctor look at that. Frankly, if any part of your body starts leaking, or your car, I would be concerned. So Dabakato did not do much uh, to help Apollo Crews, but he did get in the ring after. He helped him to his feet. And then he turned on him. And he gave him the old D'Lo Brown sky high onto a chair. Uh, these two obviously have history together from when Apollo was doing his uh, gimmick and he was the Intercontinental Champion. We have not seen Dabakato. As uh, whatever incarnation you want to call it, we have not seen him since Apollo went back to NXT. As giving as he has been putting people over. And it hasn't hurt him yet. He won't have much value left if they just keep on beating Apollo Crews. So I think he needs to win when these two eventually meet. And for Carmelo, it's like I've been saying for months, they need to do Braun Breaker against Carmelo Hayes before Breaker gets called up to the main roster, which I think is happening uh, as soon as as soon as the Monday or Friday after WrestleMania. I think Braun Breaker is going to show up on TV. As I predicted, Gallus, they are now the new NXT Tag Team Champions, beating the New Day, Pretty Deadly, and Chase University in the Fatal 4-Way match. This always felt like the New Day swan song in NXT to me. That, that, that Shawn Michaels wanted them to help move tickets for their first big show back on the road and then drop the titles, either here or at Stand and Deliver. They chose this show. Chase U, they never win anything. So I never considered them for the win. And they were very popular with the crowd. They, they've gotten over, but they never win anything. So I wasn't expecting them to win. Pretty deadly, uh, have been tag team champions before. And they had a look on the main roster recently in some dark matches, and they were said to have gotten high marks. So they may not want to put the belts back on them right now if they think there's a chance that they might get called up soon. Gallus can be a force if they're pushed like one, so I think they were the right choice. I think they stand to gain the most from the win here, and what I liked about this, they pinned the New Day. I like that. It would have been very easy for them to lose the titles without being pinned. They're, I mean, they're a major act on the main roster. Right? Kofi Kingston, former WWE champion. But they had New Day. They had Xavier take the losing pin to give Gallus the decisive win. I like that. 
Roxanne Perez retained her NXT Women's Championship over Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. Uh, toxic attraction, they ended up at each other's throats, as you knew they would. Perez was basically fighting a handicap match most of the way, up to that point. I wasn't really impressed here by, by Gigi and JC, I just have to say. Uh, this was not their, I didn't think was their best showing. I did laugh, though. At one point, we got dueling chants from the crowd for Roxanne and for Gigi. I just thought, poor poor JC. Poor JC has never felt lower than she did in that moment. Finally, when the two of them got back briefly on the same page, they set up a table on the floor. She was fighting on the ropes. Uh, JC was. With Roxanne. Gigi then climbed up on the apron to try to get in on the action. And she got booted off the apron. And she went through the table on the floor. And Roxanne, again, they're still on the top, Roxanne and JC. Roxanne hit a top rope Pop Rocks. Uh, top rope code red for the win. There's no obvious challenger lined up for Roxanne for stand and deliver. I still say it should be Tiffany Stratton who takes the title from her. Do they do it at stand and deliver? I mean, that depends on whether or not they think she's ready for that spot. She was certainly on the way. Before she got hurt in that match over the summer with uh, Wendy Chu... Tiffany Stratton was well on her way. I mean, by now she would have had even more months of of ring work and experience. I don't know if, uh, you know, because of the time away, if they want to take their time with her. Because, I, again, I don't see any other obvious challenger for Roxanne. So Tiffany Stratton would be my choice for that spot. And Braun Breaker is still your NXT champion, beating Grayson Waller inside a steel cage. They took away the escape the cage rule, which cut down on all the climbing out spots. It was pinfall or submission only. This just did not feel like a big show main event. Pretty standard cage match. The big spot was Waller climbing to the top. He was teasing a big move until Braun grabbed a hold of him. And while standing on the ropes, uh, he superplexed Waller off the top of the cage which is a spot that we've seen many times before. We, you know, Hogan and Bossman did it. Brett and Owen. Those rings were much harder, though. They, they were crazy for taking those bumps on those rings back then. Uh, Breaker hit the ropes. He speared Waller for the win to retain the title. You know, Grayson Waller gets good heat. He, he's, I look at Grayson Waller and I just look at him as a more athletic Miz. That's what I see when I see Grayson Waller. But this just wasn't a terribly interesting feud, nor nor was there any drama, because I don't think any people expected a title change here. Now, after the match, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, they walked out, they stared at Breaker as he posed on top of the cage, and there it is. There's your stand-and-deliver main event. The timing is right to take the title off of Braun Breaker for good. He's been ripping through the roster. I think people are growing a little bit tired of him. And you'll see the people are going to want to see Melo beat him for the title. As they build this match up for stand and deliver, you're going to see from the audience reactions. Even at the PC, I think what will end up happening here is, at the very least, it'll be 50-50. But I think people are going to gravitate towards Carmelo Hayes because they like him. They think he's cool and they think this is his moment. And part of it is that they're probably just tiring of Braun Breaker. So I think the timing is perfect. I think Braun's getting the call up after Mania. I expect a new champion April 1st in L.A. I can see that's going to be another very long day with uh, stand and deliver in the afternoon and then night one of WrestleMania right after. Uh, I saw something mentioned, I think Meltzer may have said something about Dragon Lee. You know, on these big shows, traditionally, they used to have that one new guy they'd show in the crowd. 
Uh, evidently, that person was going to be Dragon Lee, but he is dealing with some sort of visa issue. So he was not able to be there. And hopefully they get him back in time to have him at stand and deliver, because I think that would be the right place to debut him. I mean, they did that with Shinsuke Nakamura many years ago in Dallas. They debuted him against Sami Zayn on that show, and that was an incredible show, incredible match. Uh, I think they could do the same with Dragon Lee, assuming they get whatever this visa issue is uh, cleared up in time. They have they have two months to make that happen. But during the post-show media call, uh, Grayson Waller walked into the room and interrupted Shawn Michaels. He was ranting and raving like a lunatic. Matt Bloom had to come in and take him out of the room. Sean Ross Sapp then asked uh, Shawn Michaels, what, what was that all about? And Michaels claimed that there was an incident coming back from Gorilla with him and Waller. And, you know, Grayson, I like Grayson, but he's very much in real life, you know, like what you see on camera. So they're doing some sort of angle with Grayson Wall. I don't think it's going to be Shawn Michaels getting in the ring to wrestle him, but they're doing some kind of angle with Grayson Wall. But there was also some news earlier in the day, Booker T., announced that his Reality of Wrestling promotion will be working with NXT to, quote, bring our fans incredible matchups they cannot see anywhere else. And that they are bringing in Ivy Nile uh, next Saturday for a show at the World Gym Arena in Texas City. Brian Alvarez then followed that with a tweet of his own claiming that NXT is going to allow talent to work select indies going forward, which would be a pretty big deal if that were true, uh, the Reality of Wrestling account then responded to Alvarez and said, if said indie company is owned by Booker T. And indeed, on the media call, Shawn Michaels was asked about this, and he said as far as he knows, and he's, you know, now he's Mr. NXT now, so I would certainly hope he'd be aware of this. As far as he knows, it's just a one-shot to help Booker's promotion, and it's nothing more than that. So, straight from HBK's mouth, the official response is that right now, there's nothing more to it than meets the eye. That's what they claim. It's just a one-shot. Ivy Nile Nile is going to make an appearance for Booker T's promotion next weekend, and that's it. If this was to turn into something more, I think that would be cool. Sort of loaning out some of the NXT uh, talents, you know, farming them out. Maybe some of the lesser utilized ones to work shots in other promotions. I, I see that for the talent. I see that as being a good thing. But the reality is, you know, nobody knows what the future holds because according to Nick Khan, this company could be sold in the next three months. If they get sold, who the hell knows what the new owner's policy would be on stuff like this? They may open the whole thing up or they may not want to work with anybody. You know, that, that Uncle Saudi, he's a very unpredictable guy. There's no telling what he might do. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anyway, let's get to a handful of your questions here and get out of here. Email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. Always include your name and where you are from, please, when you write in. Uh, Like our good friend Alistair from Glasgow, Scotland. Who was the better champion? Kofi Kingston or Big E? 
Also, do you think both of them should have had longer runs with the belt? Kofi Kingston was WWE champion for six months. He never headlined a single pay-per-view as champion during those six months, which tells you all you need to know about how they treated that run. But he still had more time as champion than Big E did, and not only did he have the title longer, he was protected far more than Big E ever was. He lost very few times on television when, when Kofi was the champion. You know, and he, he beat a bunch of people. He beat Daniel Bryan. He beat Kevin Owens. He beat Dolph Ziggler. He beat Sami Zayn. He beat Samoa Joe. He beat Randy Orton. He beat AJ Styles. He actually beat a lot of people. So you can't say that they did not at least attempt to make him look credible as champion. Kofi had the stronger run of the two, to answer your question. Kofi had the better run. But neither run was very good. Big E's was worse, but neither one was very good. They both lost their titles to Brock Lesnar. Lesnar was a menace that year, <laughs> booking-wise, coming in coming in at the very end and winning the Money in the Bank briefcase after doing nothing, and then beating Kofi in eight seconds to win the title. He was a menace that year. I wasn't surprised that he lost. Talking about Kofi now. I was not surprised that he lost. I was surprised at how he lost. He should have put up more of a fight. Because And I said this when he lost it. This was the main point that I made when Kofi Kingston lost his championship back in 2019. It made all of those people, that list of names I just read off to you, all those people that did the honors for him and put him over in those six months to make him look strong and credible as champion. It made all the work that those guys put, it made them all look like jabrones. From Daniel Bryan to Randy Orton to AJ Styles and everybody in between. Because Kofi could not get one get one lick of offense in. And after six months, it was one and done in less than 10 seconds. So that was terrible. Kofi's run wasn't great, but he fared much better than Big E did. Right from the moment he won it. He had a great story leading up to it. Right, And then the moment at WrestleMania, it was this big emotional thing on the biggest possible stage. Big E's reign started off on the wrong foot with a random Money in the Bank cash-in on TV. Having a babyface cash-in on the heel after the heel just got done wrestling and was teasing a leg injury is not a great way to start a title reign. See Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey last year as another example. He did not have one interesting feud. Big E did not have a single interesting feud during his time as champion. The program he had with Drew McIntyre was boring. He lost to Roman Reigns. Three times he lost to Roman Reigns. Everybody has lost to Roman Reigns, but he lost to Roman Reigns three times in a very short period of time. It wasn't just Survivor Series that he lost to Roman. He lost to Roman twice in one night on the same show. The Bloodline beat the New Day to open the show, and then Roman beat Biggie and Bobby Lashley later that same night to close out the show. And then we got to day one, and you know what happened there. He lost the belt to Brock Lesnar. Three months, and that was it. And I told you, I told you at the time, Biggie will not make it to WrestleMania as the champion. And he lost it even earlier than I expected. I figured he would drop it at the Royal Rumble. Maybe if Roman had not gotten popped for COVID, he would have. All that did was speed up the inevitable. Kofi's run was better than Big E's. I don't think Kofi should have had a longer run. His run was longer than I expected it to be. Six months was just enough. 
It's the way that he lost that made me shake my head. Big E was just a victim of bad booking. Bad booking and a lack of opponents. He went right to Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. That was never going to end well for him. It just felt like there was a whole middle part that was missing. And that's what happens when you haphazardly send him out there to cash in without having any real plans for what to do with him after that. Let's just send him out there and have him cash in and we'll figure it out on the fly. (laughs) There's no way that was the plan. They had this whole plan mapped out for Big E as the WWE champion. They didn't. And it looked that way. Luke from Brisbane, Australia. Obviously, Stone Cold Steve Austin's best match is against Bret Hart at WrestleMania. That is correct, by the way. But what do you believe is his second best match? I really like the match he had against Dude Love at Over the Edge. This was peak Austin versus McMahon, where Vince would come up with all these master plans and stack the deck against Austin as much as possible. Do you agree, or do you like another match more? I love that match. I love their Over the Edge 98 match. Uh, I think it's peak sports entertainment. It's like the perfect Attitude Era match. I don't think it's Austin's second best match ever. I think for that, it's either Austin Rock at WrestleMania 17 or the three stages of hell match with Triple H and No Way Out. Probably the No Way Out match. Now, now that's singles matches. If you factor in tags, my vote would be for Austin and Triple H against Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit on Raw. But you also have other options too. You have to consider the 10-man tag at Canadian Stampede. Uh, the War Games match in WCW, right? It was Sting Squadron against the Dangerous Alliance. Austin has been part of some some great matches. So again, if we're if we're saying singles only, I'm inclined to say Austin Triple H and No Way Out. But if you're opening it up to everything, uh, I really love that tag team match on Raw with uh, him and Triple H against Jericho and Benoit and Jordan from Hatboro, Pennsylvania. Subject line is, if the Elimination Chamber existed before 2002. It did, by the way. It was called War Games. Uh, but anyway, he says, strictly a fantasy booking question, but one that I've thought of plenty over the years when playing WWE video games. If you could see one Elimination Chamber match happen from any era of your choosing before Ruthless Aggression, what era or year would you choose and who would you want to see in the match? And he said, me personally, I would have loved to have seen Hogan, Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Razor Ramon in the spring of 1993. See, I, I, I don't think Elimination Chamber works as a concept for that era, as well as it does the Attitude Era. Now, I'm thinking if you expanded it to WCW, I think that there were enough people on that WCW roster in like 92, 93... Uh, Sting and Vader and Rude and Cactus Jack and people like that. That could have been a very interesting Elimination Chamber match. But if we're talking WWE, I would say uh, Attitude Era, 1998 to 2001. I would want to see Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, Undertaker, Kane, and Mankind. Closest thing we got was that six-man Hell in a Cell in 2000 that had Kurt Angle and Rikishi in it. Uh, but I think if if... I had to pick an era. I think that era works the best for a match like that. And those are the six guys I would have wanted to see in it. 
So good shit. Uh, keep emailing me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter. We have a whole bunch of new followers on there, at Solomonster. And of course, I'm on Instagram as well, at thesolomonster, although uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be more active on there. Uh, I will be live on YouTube this week, back to a normal schedule. Again, there was no SmackDown review on Friday because of my hog obligations, but we are back to business this week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then back next Sunday with episode 795 of the Solomonster Sounds Off. So until then, be well, stay safe. Thank you, as always, for the uh, donations and the follows and the likes and the support. And uh, I will see you back here for 795 next Sunday. So until then, take care, guys. The Solomonster Sounds Off. As of today, Kofi is the only man who has declared himself for the Rumble. We're only a few weeks away. You would think that the rest of the roster would be interested in trying to win themselves a main event title match at WrestleMania, but evidently that's not the case. If it were me, I would have been the second person to announce myself for the Royal Rumble. Then I would promptly hold on to the bottom rope and I would handcuff myself to the bottom rope. And I would stick the keys down my crotch and that's where I would lay. Until the right moment, I would uncuff myself, I would sneak up behind somebody, I would give them about five low blows. <laughs> And then I would dump him out of the ring. And that's how I would win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> the Solomonster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks and follow the Solomonster on Twitter at Solomonster. 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 Solomonster sounds off. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.